Hey everybody, welcome back to 10% True. Just before you get stuck into this episode, I wanted to let you know that in 2024, I'm going to be republishing my book, Red Eagle's America's Secret Megs. That's the story of the 4477th Test Evaluation Squadron and the program Constant Peg that exposed American fighter aircrew to secretly acquired and operated MiGs in the Nevada desert in the 1970s and 1980s. The book's been out of print for a while. It goes for crazy prices online, but I'll be republishing as a softback exclusively through my website, 10percenttrue.com. If you're thinking about supporting the channel, you'd like to buy the book for yourself or even as a gift, please do go and place a pre-order. I'll put a link in the description. All pre-orders are going to be 25% off and I'll make sure I personally inscribe and sign your copy for you. Anyway, I'll let you get back on with enjoying this episode. Take care. tell me about the decoy side of things then so these the toad decoys with the b1s obviously decoys were used extensively in desert storm there was a very sophisticated plan as i as i understand it to f- shoot those off of you know not not only um a7s and f18s and stuff coming off of carriers but i know that they four positioned you know ground units to fire them off from from saudi um what do those do i'm curious to know what those do to uh, allied side's ability to you know find fix target track using their radar so yeah uh, okay you're going to send all these things across the ground um you know surface to air missile radar operators are going to see the, all, the, all these targets and not know what to do and they're going to shoot all their missiles off and they're going to reveal the lo- locations and 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 you're going to be able to suck up the trons and figure out what they're doing where they are and who they are and all that kind of stuff that's cool we've talked before about you know stealth and uh, its applicability in certain radar frequencies, not necessarily being across all frequencies, but in being, let's say, the frequencies of a fighter radar uh, where it's optimized for. So I'm curious to know whether or not that kind of plan has an impact on fighter radars, whether or not that you're sort of somehow um, also impotent to do anything while that game plan is running. I don't think so. Um, and I've never been in a decoy intense environment. But since the decoys are kind of flying with the strike package and your adversary air is flying against the strike package, I think you've got a simple directional issue. Um, so the decoys in Desert Storm, the ITALDS and the Scathe Mean program, which were powered decoys, um, were designed to fool air defenses. The towed decoys on the B-1 are self-protection systems. So a towed decoy, they did not exist in Desert Storm. The B-1 got some of the first ones, and it's just basically a little let's call it an emitter on a string that is dragged out behind the airplane. And what it's saying when it, when the threat radar is pointed at it, is it's saying, pay no attention to the bomber behind the curtain. I'm right here. I'm right here, 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 right here, right here. This, this is what you're going for. And it's designed to literally suck in various types of missiles. And, you know, then you, the decoy explodes and it's a long ass string. Okay. And, now you've got no decoy at the end of your string. Well, you have a second decoy. So you reel out the second decoy. Um, actually, come to think of it, the F-16, some of the F-16s might have towed decoys at the time. Mm. Because I seem to remember, guys, you reel them out. They don't get shot off. You have to reel them back in. There's an emergency procedure for landing when you can't 
you know, reel your decoy back in and the wire won't cut. There's a jettison procedure for that. So there is actually an emergency procedure. And I seem to remember a Viper on a base I was at one time coming in with a tow decoy strung out. And it's you just run the procedure and, you know, you hope you don't drag it through all the runway lights and wipe them all out. Because I'm sure the line breaks under that kind of stress. Uh, but yeah, the B1s. That's why you could feel good about the gunners charging a B1 and not you. Because they had tow decoys. Okay. In, in earlier in Serbia, so when you look back, go back to Deliver It Force, the the Harriers, the the British Harriers had a decoy that was called Gen X, that was a short term emitting decoy that actually was used in place of chaff, where it mm-hmm. comes out and it only has to last for X number of seconds. It comes out, the jammer kicks on, it says, "Here I am, here I am, here I am." Sorry. Mr. Chance. And by that time, the Harrier's out of the zone. I, I don't know how effective those were. I mean, the only Harrier shot down was shot down to a surface-to-air missile threat during, you know, a, a relatively calm period. Um, but those are all just designed to add to the self-protection aspect. <clears throat> okay, talk to us about check rides. Check rides. Okay, so as I previously mentioned, my check rides are often a complete freaking disaster. I mean, my first my first check ride in the F4E was actually a textbook quality intercept. Except that my student pilot and I had busted the check ride in the emergency procedures phase when I failed to eject early enough and I got me out of the simulator but not him. So I was in the envelope, he was out of the envelope, uh and my view at the time had been uh as long as I pull a handle before we hit the simulated ground, uh, we're good to go. Well, not good to go. So that's an important learning lesson. So again, even a textbook quality uh, intercept is a good check ride and not a great, exceptionally qualified check ride because we blew the the simulator. So that was at Lake and Heath. I mean, we had I was fl- flying with Steve Sicoli as the evaluator. Steve Sicoli, an XF4G guy, uh, also an Arabic speaker, a linguist before he was in Ewo. So he's the reason why Weasel name tags in the Gulf War, all had Arabic underneath them. It said something like son of desert weasel thing. Because a weasel is not <laughs> really an Arab. Yeah. So Steve Sicoli is the reason why we had all those and why they said the right things. Because there was another case is other, you know, the uh, there was a there was a squadron uh, next to us, the Pave Low guys. So I flew with a door gunner. Now we're going back to post desert storm but i flew as a door gunner a couple times on the paved low helicopters because i had nothing better to do and they were willing to teach me i uh, learned night vision goggles learned to fire 50 cal out the side of an airplane not even sure i can hit the ground but it makes lots of noise and it makes tracers and it's fun so i got to go and they had a colonel coming in and they had him made an a-, a name tag and it had the line underneath it and every place he went outside the base the arabs were laughing at the line and he couldn't figure it out and they Finally, one of the Arabs came up to him and said, do they really call you that? And he goes, call me what? It's my name. Man who has sex with camels. The special ops colonel helicopter pilot flown in and for weeks he's wearing a, you know, a name tag that says Jim Bob Jones. But underneath in Arabic, it says man who has sex with camels. So anyway, thanks to Steve Sicoli, we weren't at least going to do that to ourselves. Um, but Soko is a CFE. I'm flying a check ride in in England, and it's not going. It's not going to go well. The weather's crappy, so we come up with two plans. We're going to simulate dropping GBU tens, 
2,000 pound laser guided bombs. And if we don't um, have the good weather, we're going to change those on the fly in our simulated loadout on the PAX, which is the programmable armament control system. We're going to change that. We're going to mark 84 dumb bombs because we will never drop, you know, laser guided bombs slick through the weather, right? <laughs> so it's a short turn. It's a short run in. There's clouds. There's not clouds. There's clouds. Shoot. I totally forget trying to acquire the target. I forget the, to switch to another loadout. And I drop my two simulated GBU 10s through the weather. I might have busted the check ride, except Steve Sicoli, who planned this whole thing and set that up, had done exactly the same thing for the same reasons. So the evaluator can't bust me on my check ride for doing something he did for the same reasons it was part of his plan. So I managed to skate through, you know, that particular check ride. So that's where I'm leading up to is I, I come in the Allied Force. We're there and, and April is rolling around and it's check ride time. And so we you have to do a bunch of tests. Okay, but under combat conditions, you can you can do the written test or the oral test in a different way. So my way was is a, is a a evaluator sat there with the master question file and he asked a question and I was the first one to answer and I answered and I got the question right and he dismissed me. And so that's the way I think it went after that is you ask a question from the master question file which has four hundred questions in it and you study the master question file prior to your check ride and if somebody got the answer right you'd throw them out of the room and they were done so that took care of the testing problem and then we got to get a check ride so turns out no notice combat check you're supposed to get a check ride you know and it's part of a plan but there is a certain percentage that are no notice check rides so bang hype top who's a, a evaluator in blue is going to give me a no notice check ride and it's a no notice check ride and i'm the mission commander and it's a strike against podgarica uh, airport so it's got all this stuff coming together and it's naturally it's a target where i it's an underground airplane hangar there were several of them uh in serbia where their airplane protective facilities were built into the sides of granite mountains they are extremely resistant even our bunker busters did jack against those and we tried um because rock is not concrete it doesn't behave like concrete bombs don't behave uh, drilling through rock is tough um, not that we can't, but you need to know more than we knew at the time. And so the, I'd planned this strike. It was canceled for weather. The Tomcats actually went in. Navy Bombcats went in, hit the target. And, you know, we canceled for weather. On the sortie, which is the only GPS-equipped jet I got the whole time. And so 10 days later, we get retasked again to redo the mission against the hardened aircraft shelter because there's got to be hordes of MiGs just waiting to come out and, and go after the tankers. And Intel's lost all the imagery. <laughs> all of the imagery. We have no target folders and they can't find them. What we didn't know at the time and found out later is not only did they have good target folders on these, they had video. They had video of guys from a Serbian television program going through the whole bunker, looking at the doors and everything, and they never, ever gave it to us wow. or gave us any inkling that they had it. And so now I have to sketch for all the people in the flight their aim points based on the memory of target photos seen 10 days before. So I sketch all this stuff out. I mean, that's what I've got. Naturally, on my check ride, of course, I'm not going to have any freaking imagery on the target. 
and we don't even have the right number of targets. So um, Wardo Sieverts is now our representative at the Kayak, and and we're trying to find aim points for the the fourth guy in the flight. You know, we're going to take the north doors, the south doors, the ventilation port, but you know, what's the other guy going to hit? And it's like, um. So Wardo's at the Kayaka said, hey, we don't have a target. We don't have an aim point for one of our guys. He says, uh, all right. He pulls up a map. He looks at it and says, uh, why don't you hit the control tower? Dude, that's the civilian control tower, and it's on the no-strike list. And he goes, oh, then don't hit that then. And so eventually we couldn't find anything worth hitting. <laughs> so we double-targeted one of the hardened aim points. And, and we come in. Wardog Henderson's in the front seat. And we're doing a dog leg. We go through Albania and we're going to suddenly turn north. So our radars actually are not pointing where we're going to go. We're going to turn north into the fight. And we go on in. And I'll show you the tape. But I get my radar designation and we're off. Okay. So my sketch is good in terms of representation, but not orientation. My memory was 20 or 30 degrees off. So we're coming in from the wrong heading. The bomb is going to come in at an angle and kind of like bounce off. There's the camera. Bounce, 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 bounce off the rock face in front of it. That's what I'm worried about. So, you know, we're coming in. I say, turn right to north. Bang. The airplane goes right to north. We hold it for a little while. I said, come back on the ASL. Bang. The airplane comes back on the ASL. We deliver the bombs and then we come in and I think we broach. And we don't. And mm -hmm. I'll talk more about that particular engagement. And then we come out, and there's a couple things we don't know. So War Dog doesn't know until after we land, and he asked me why I'd had him snap to the north and then come back. Okay, and it's because I needed to get our bomb alignment. I don't know we're taking fire. So I don't know we're taking fire until I see the write-up for the medals. And so it lists, you know, ground fire. And I go to War Dog afterward. I go, were we taking ground fire? And he goes, yes. I go, oh, well, good on you then. So I'm sucked into the scope trying to find the target. We're engaged and I have no idea what's going on. Um, because uh, War Dog doesn't feel threatened enough that we're jettisoning bombs and going defensive. Um, you know, I think it's mostly AAA. It's probably medium and he's just dodging it. And there we go. We go on in. So check ride comes out. Bombs are on target. We review the tapes. We actually see what looks like a secondary explosion, this ball of fire that comes out and hits a MiG that's parked outside. So we think we've bagged a bunch of MiGs in the tunnel. And um, so I get a, my only, in my entire flying career, my only exceptionally qualified on a check ride. And then later, you know, uh, Wardog and I were decorated for it. So that was that was kind of cool. That's the that's the check. That was my last Strike Eagle check ride. That's the check ride to go out with. So you, was my you, no notice combat check. You go to uh, DFC. So, yeah. Oh, and a DFC, yeah. Yeah. Um. So you have the tape for that. Oh, we're gonna show. I'm gonna show you the weapons delivery. Oh, Absolutely cool. Um. And so, uh, we'll run that tape along with the uh, short attack. So that was the combat check ride. Combat check ride. Good time. You know, I, I, I definitely was my, that was my A game. Uh, and that was probably the best bomb I threw in the whole war. Because what I had done is I expected the GBU-10s to sag. What I would have wanted was GBU-24 hmm. uh, using a mode 3 attack. But a GBU-24, um, they weren't working. So we didn't take them. So now I'm taking a ballistic weapon. It's 
big, it's fat, it's lumpy, um, it's unattractive. You know, it's kind of like an F-35. <laughs> and it uh, uh, they sag, also like F-35s. And so you have to laze high on a vertical face. And I lazed high and, and hoped where the bombs would go. Well, they slip into the rock face above the blast doors and blow the blast doors into the next county. What did we get on the inside? We got the Serbian aerial demonstration team. <laughs> we got all their red, white, and blue painted Super Galeb trainer variants for their aerial demo team. It was not packed stem to turn with MiG-21s. I killed the Serbian equivalent of the Blue Angels. And it's possible, by the way, that the Tomcats had wrecked them 10 days before. <laughs> <laughs> and that the only MiG-21 that appeared to be anywhere near this shelter was the one that was parked outside that I hit with the flaming ball of goo uh, that ricocheted from one of the bombs. So anyway, fortunately, the people that approved the decorations didn't know any of that. <laughs> but it was an awfully good professionally run sortie. And I was the mission commander. I had everybody else to worry about, too. So shall we go back and do some more video? Yeah, before we do, let me ask you one more question then. So uh, you mentioned earlier about you didn't know the effects of hitting concrete. Um, is that going to be part of the video coming up or do I need... You bet it is. It is, okay. Well, then I, I will allow you to just go with your flow then. This is what underground fuel storage looks like um, when you put a bomb 90 degree angle through the top. Um, the reason the bomb was at a 90 degree angle is because it was actually a GBU-24, and I'll slow down to normal speed. We released too close. We released inside minimum range. The bomb comes straight down and causes a small volcano. Wow. That was fun. But, yeah, that was Ponikva Airfield. Uh, so again, uh, probably an airfield I had good weather on, although you can see the wind is not strong from the smoke. And the tank looks like it was mostly empty. It looks like I got fumes because it mm -hmm. does not continue to burn. Ah, all right. So here we go. Short time to target. This is a barracks. And um, we're in days, but it is April. So it is a target that has been hit before my particular aim point. So I've got multi-story barracks buildings and I have what we think is vehicle storage. I'm going to make two passes, 2000 pound bomb on each pass. We're in number two shooter Wyatt's in the front seat. And the first target is a multi-story barracks building. And again, I expect the GBU 10 to sag and I'm trying to put it into the lobby. And it does that. It goes right into the lobby and you will see two and a half out of the well, one and a half of the two and a half wings collapse, and you'll see a massive cloud of concrete dust. And the second target as we come back around is an aluminum roofed shed full of vehicles, or allegedly full of vehicles, since we can't see through the aluminum roof. So the way you suspect afterwards that there was there were vehicles in there is if you get black smoke. If you don't get black smoke, it was probably empty. So here we go. Those things on the right are clouds, daytime. Uh, and you can see the HUD cameras up to the left. We've got clouds in and out of the target area, and this is this is tough, and it's fairly spotty, and I'm going to be the only guy who can find his target on the first pass. Okay. Magic Blade 1-1. One, one. Yeah, dude, I got a cloud right over your target. 
One that'll affect the uh... That's it. That's my captured call after we clear the clouds. He's called as a cloud right over the target. We say, he says, I think it'll affect your lasing, and then he'll coordinate with the flight lead. We're going to go in the other direction from what we planned. Flight on one, one, X, one, two, request right hand designator turn to zero four out. Bravo. We're up at Craig. Target IP. Okay, I think we can do it. Okay. Blade one, one, magic stop by. Okay, if we. Program one, single weapon. So we're turning to the right instead of our planned turn to the left, and it's a pretty aggressive turn, as you can see from the, the HUD display. Um, and all Shooter did is request designated turn to the right, and we get back the one-word call cleared. We're we're done. Now, this is pretty decent video, so I'm going to just, for the audience, this is our flight path marker where the airplane is going on the left. Uh, you can see, maybe you can see the mouse. Um, and this is a pitch ladder. So it's always perpendicular to the ground. And this is level, five degrees high, 10 degrees high, et cetera. Five low, 10 low. Um, crosshairs are where my laser is firing. A flashing L will tell you that my laser is firing. And there's a bunch of data around the corners that tells me. But the one you're looking for is the T impact right here. It starts out T rel, which is time to release. After the bomb releases, it turns to T imp. And it's just going to count down till impact. And that's what we use. It's all modeled. We don't know precisely when the bomb's going to arrive, but it's generally going to arrive within two seconds of when the T impact says it's going to arrive. And then on the left side, the HUD, of course, we've got airspeed, altitude, and uh, a bunch of digital data. CDES. CDES. CDES is a continuous designation mode that I am not going to explain even a little, other than the name. Okay, it was a great improvement uh, in Suite Three, I think. Uh, although it might have come about in Suite Two uh, back in the day, it was uh, it was just a way to put a little bit of automation in the computer to uh, help it, so that every time you wanted a designation, um, you normally get it by squeezing the trigger. Uh, CDES, you still got it by squeezing a trigger, but there were some ways that it helped you out. So now I go to full screen because I want to get a good view of this. I was told after this strike to stop doing this. Not because it was a bad thing on my part, but that the squadron commander, Wardog, felt that the, the young lieutenants and captains were going to follow the star baby example and screw it up. So I had to stop going for my video, uh, my big one screen video, because you'll see the HUD come back. He was afraid people would um, not bring the HUD back and we'd lose a bunch of the data. Amazing. 11 seconds. Blade 1 1 magic push 4 4 alpha or 4 5 alpha. 3 2 1 0. You get thermal bloom, kind of gains down the scope. That's going to fade, and you're going to see from the collapse, there is just concrete dust everywhere. You're not, you can't see through it. The laser cannot fire through it. Um, 
that's something we didn't get in training. Hmm. Uh, but two out of the three wings or two and a half out of the or one and a half out of the two and a half wings, I cannot get that right. What a uh, look out of that one. All right, so I'm going to speed that up as we come around for a second pass. So you will note, you don't see any smoke anywhere else, and that's because nobody else dropped. So everybody is now going to release both weapons on their second target, except for us. We're going to release one weapon on our second target because we're not making three passes. Hmm. And it would have taken three passes to serve all the uh, the possible targets. So as we go around, you can see how well the concrete dust hangs. And now it gives us good indication on the wings. And now I've jumped forward into our second pass. Are you watershed? There we go, using code words again. So Panther 8-1 is Watershed. Do I know what Watershed is? No. Did I know it then? No. Did it matter? I hope not. For the what? The look is what he said. I'm the button he said. Okay, captured. Copy captured. Here's our former target. There's our new one. Okay, he's banking away. Where? Target ID. Bombs oh, away. He's got two bombs away. Very pretty. So the shooter's commenting on what's going on outside because he seed the flight lead now has dropped his two bombs. He says, you know. He's got his position wrong, too. What he means is the flight lead rather than two. Bombs away. He sees two GBU-10s fall away from the other strike eagle because he's obviously flying in formation with them and gets to see all this shit. I'm seeing crosshairs on a four-and-a-half-inch green screen, and that's all I will see uh, until things go bang. I mean, I it's not like I don't look outside the cockpit to see things go bang. Uh, so the stick monkey in the front seat sometimes gets a better view. I believe you. <laughs> Twelve seconds. Laser. Laser. Please flash. Nice shot, Star Baby. Wow. There is aluminum roof paneling flying and a cloud of black smoke. That was my, I think, one of the most visually impressive explosions I ever got to create. Um, 
It was like it was made out of matchsticks or something. Yeah, exactly. And so that's it. We're out of there. Um, we're out of bombs. We've hit both of our aim points. It's pretty successful from a star baby shooter standpoint. Um, and we have not embarrassed ourselves. Check rod. So this is the check rod video. And what we're going is Podgorica airfield had a long extended taxiway that went into the side of a mountain. And it was a dual use base with the civilian side and military side. We pretty much left the civilian side alone. Um, and, you know, we kind of trashed the military side of the field. And we're going to go underground, look for the underground storage, which I have no photos of. And, of course, I'm flying with no photos and my sketches from memory. That doesn't look good. Okay. Update. Designated. Right. Your radar. My radar. That fast. The radar picture was that good. Um, because the, you see the taxiways kind of curve around the mountain, go into the, where the door has to be, uh, designate where the door has to be, and I'm done with the radar. It's that shooters. Or in this case, sorry, it's War Dog in the front seat. Squadron Commander. So this is weird. I'm the mission commander. My squadron commander is in the front seat. War Dog's a great squadron commander. There was never a tug of war. If the mission commander was in the back seat, the mission commander was in the back seat. Captured. Got the capture. Coming up on 330. Thank you. Magnum Jets, Germany. You're Magnum. Harm shot in the air. Ready light. We're naked. Come right to north. I've realized the angle is too shallow and this is not going to work. Rolling out north. Designated. Okay, come back on the designation. Target ID. Right. The weather looks good to me. Same. I just got to Cleared. Didn't drop. Runs. Heard it drop. Second three one confirmed. Second three one as. Five second rolling. Search picture clear. Bombs are in the air. We're maneuvering pretty severely. What you're really looking at is the concrete cap that was kind of protecting the tunnel entrance. Uh, and this, even on the original tape, it was hard to make out uh, unless you knew what you're looking for. But the white, you know, curve, the taxiway coming in uh, here is the pointer. And sitting here at the same temperature as the taxiway, around here is a MiG-21. Ah. And so he's doing a dive delivery then. Pardon? He's doing a dive delivery. Yeah, yeah, we we did a bunch of dive deliveries, um, because it reduced the time of flight and put some energy on the bomb. And so remember, we're we're using GBU tens with their tendency to sag, 
when we'd rather have had a GBU 24 that I couldn't trust. So War Dog is, we're going to deliver, 20 degree dive was typical. So remember, Shooter and I attacked an SA-3 in the clouds at a 20 degree dive. Mm. Um, and that's just to put some more energy behind the bomb. Bombs will come in from the left. So here's a better view. You can see how the taxiway, here's where the MIG is around here. Taxiway goes under this kind of domed cap and makes a turn into the mountainside. Mm, okay. And there's a set of blast doors hidden behind here. So what I'm trying to do is hit this rock face. Um, I really want the bombs to hit at the junction. So I'm elevating above the rock face in the hopes that I will bypass all the hardening and go in behind the doors by the time they detonate. They're penetrators, blue 109s. Uh, they have a delay fuse. Good, that's a hit. Well, extend a little. Two. Magic, my F3 one is And so unfortunately, I don't have a good slowed down version of that to show you the fireball coming out. Um, and uh, revealing the MiG-21. But it definitely made a big bang. And that was, um, so that was two GBU-10s, right? That was two GBU-10s. Was it the double miracle method that you were talking about earlier then, or are they impacting at the same time? No, well, so the, the you can't actually release them at the same time. The minimum release interval is about 100 milliseconds. So it's essentially consecutive miracles by default. Okay. And I was um, going to ask about that. So you talked about, you know, effectively uh, being able to double your penetration uh, using that method. Um, I suppose the obvious question is, doesn't the explosion from the first one um, potentially disrupt the fusing or the fuse mechanism or, or whatever of the second one? I'm, you know, I'm guessing if they're very close together, then it's not going to disrupt its path through the air, um, but it could impact the fusing. Fuse is a tail fuse. Um, and it's a, uh... It's designed, it's designed to function after it goes through concrete. So the explosion, the shockwave is not nearly as rough a ride as hitting a wall of 5,000 or 3,000 PSI concrete is. Okay. Um, the blast is comparatively insubstantial mm -hmm. compared to hitting a wall at 1,100 feet per second. Right. Um, the kinetic energy in these is massive. And that's why, you know, there are times when we've used inert versions um, of these weapons with no explosive just to go uh, through. So that's the check ride video and um, the exceptionally qualified uh, rating on the check ride. And, and so that was good. Let's turn to bridges. Now, I had not gotten a bridge. I'd been tasked for several bridges. There had been, uh, there had been other events. I mean, had had intervened. I'd been tasked to go something else, or we got another target, or we had to go hit an SA-3, which was totally worthwhile. 
or the weather interfered and we couldn't drop, you know, there were a number of combinations. Finally, I finally get a bridge, you know, on, on the lead back seater. And I look at the photos and it's a two span steel truss bridge. And against one corner of the bridge, it's, it looks like it's an inn, which is not unusual for a bridge crossing. And I say, basically that's my span. Okay. Nobody else gets to touch the span close to the inn. And what I should be dropping is I ideally you'd try to drop the bridge at the abutment on the shoreline or the pier in the middle. I'm going to do neither. I'm going to drop center of span because that's going to cause the minimum potential collateral damage. And the other three ships are going to work on the other span and they're going to hit the abutments and the pier. And so I tell everybody, and that's my, that, that happened to me in, in other cases uh, where even if I wasn't the flight lead, somehow I ended up with the hardest target amongst all the four ships. Um, and I remember hitting a bunch of oil storage tanks. Uh, Glenn Panaro, Panama, was the lead give for that strike. And he gives me the hardest target, and that's okay. And he tried a new numbering system for this, you know, a new numbering system in which he renumbered or used letters or something and had this complex, you know, inverted double rat's ass targeting plan with backups. And first thing that happens, first thing he does is the lead is he drops on the wrong freaking target. <laughs> and so the wrong oil tank explodes. And so everybody go, and I see the wrong oil tank explode, and I know this is going sideways, but everybody else knows it goes sideways. So we all switch targets based on what we think is going to happen. And what we end up doing is we end up hitting all the targeted aim points, all with somebody who was not assigned at it. Okay, so we did the in-flight, no-com, plan B shuffle, and we still left having hit every one of the designated targets on the way out. So anyway, by this point, I've got a pretty high opinion of myself, uh, in case you haven't noticed, uh, and my skill set. And so I'm going to take uh, one end of the bridge. So let's go to share. And I may have to you may have to bear with me as I fast forward through this um, to find the right target. Oh, and this looks like this could be the right target. See, high opinion of myself. I rock. OK, so. <laughs> Um, synthetic capture map, we're going to see a river and, uh, the river is that dark thing going up the middle. And this is a pretty broad area map. This is multiple miles on a side. So we're going to zoom in. It's daylight. Note, there is my target bridge under the mouse in the center of the screen and up to the north, up the river, there is my non-target bridge. You will see me do a target pod shuffle in the end game to make sure that I'm on the South Bridge and not the North Bridge. Um, and this was especially because the the other one of the Viper squadrons, the 510th, the Buzzards, guys with the purple tail code, um, they got themselves a little trouble here and there because they had a pilot decided that he didn't like the bridge he was targeted against, so he dropped another one, which turned out to be on the no-strike list. We had a guy decide that the oil storage tanks and a 20-millimeter strafe run was a pairing he needed to personally make. <laughs> Uh, and that got him in trouble. So there was there was some jackassery going on, just not in the flights. I, I wish I could say there was no Strike Eagle jackassery, but I've already talked about our weapons officer in previous episodes, so there was some Strike Eagle jackassery going on, but not today. That patch map seemed really quick. Is it really that quick, or is that shortened that sequence? Say again. That the patch map looked really quick. Is it that quick, or is this this is this sequence shortened? No, 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 it's not shortened. That's all I needed. Wow. 
It's land water contract, Steve. This is this is a dog's balls target. No, but I mean, just the process of, of creating the patch map. I thought it took a few seconds to do it and process it and then display the image, but that was almost instant. Yeah, so it was probably a three-second patch. We've okay. got a good angle off okay. uh, once I zoomed in. You saw that all in real time. What sort of angle would you would you have? I preferred 30 to 50 degrees, as close to 50 as I could get. The more angle off you get, the more uh, velocity you have, yeah. uh, you know, radially. And the sharper your patch map is and the quicker you get it. Okay. So that was all real time. I'll go in size, size, zoom, got it, land, water, contrast, designate the bank. Uh, it's your radar. And notice it's cloudy. So I've just seen all through this, the clouds with the radar. We can't see Jack. I've got ugly Russ Lee in the front. So in the picture behind you, that's Russ in the front of that Strike Eagle. Although I don't think it's this sortie. Because um, this is GBU-10s and the sortie behind you is GBU-24. So. Pretty like it. Rock on. Clouds move out of the way. The black thing is the river. There's a bridge crossing it. It's still going to be kind of uglier in the target area, but right now it's looking like this is possible. So that target pod capture after the clouds, that takes nothing because I've got, again, a very prominent target, land water contrast. Um, I don't know how far out I am because I've got the little window across my data block. Uh, no, I can't make it out anyway, but um, we're probably almost certainly outside. I think we're around 25 miles at this point. <clears throat> now I'm looking for clouds because there's clouds. And we're going to have a conversation shortly about clouds. Now, how you should drop a bridge and how we are dropping a bridge. The way you should drop a bridge is you should fly along the bridge axis. Because... Your error on your laser-guided bombs is usually long and short and not left and right. So if you put your bomb long or short and you're aligned with a bridge, you still drop the bridge. We're deliberately going perpendicular to the bridge because of the collateral damage concern on the banks. So that any weapon that does not hit the bridge goes into the water, uh, which tends to absorb all the frag or most of the frag uh, and present much less of a danger. So... This is the, the worst case, but we've got pretty high confidence in a two-bomb combination that one of those bombs is going to go where we want it to. And the second bomb is probably going to land short because they always do. You saw it in the Kosovo video over and over again. That's kind of what I'm expecting here. But again, it's the in on the right side as we approach that I'm most concerned with. Okay, overturn the ASL, come left to north. Yeah, just keep it out of the way, too. 
That's not the way it's supposed to go. The flight lead is not supposed to keep out of the way of two. Two is supposed to keep out of the way of the flight lead. But, you know, Ugg's managing his flight uh, and it involves not letting two fly himself into us. So I want him to come north to overturn the steering line and he wants to not hit two. So we've got two different competing priorities and his is the important one. 22-year-old, dude. Yeah, man. 20 seconds T-rail, so that means we're probably at about 10 miles. Do not release. That's good right now. Let's clear it up. Is it clear enough to drop? I am not Looks captured. like it. Looks like it'll work. I'm rolling in. I am not captured. Copy. Do not release. It'll work. Okay, I got it. I was in doubt. I told him to hold the weapons. He's looking at the cloud situation. He says it'll work. I do my up and down the river check to make sure I've got the right bridge. I call clear to drop. As soon as I the P in the word drop hits his ears, he's down on the pickle button. Obviously, I'm not lazing because I've learned from previous lessons it's going to drive my pot off. So he told me it's going to clear. You know, I trust him it's going to clear. So we're just holding and I uh, will reacquire the target if it disappears. Laser's on. Strangely enough, the second bomb misses long instead of short where I expected it to miss. So it's even farther away from the inn. And that's it. We're on target. Two said they're going through dry. They probably had cloud problems. And now we're going to come around again. Uh for two's delivery. So three and four are going to deliver. We're going to make a second pass. Two's going to drop his two bombs. I'm going to set up to goalie for two. So if he loses it on the clouds, he'll call goalie and I will lay his weapons in on his laser code. So just for for giggles, we're going to watch that one too. But I'll speed it up. And I'm sure I've cut it. There we go. So distance, you can see in the pod, the span is down. Hear that? Firefly 3090-SLAPPY63. That is the code word for SA3. Active. Um, and so that's where we we had the combination. I don't have to look that up. We've been using Firefly 3 as the code word for SAM. So Firefly 3, Firefly 6, the Intel guys were happy. We were happy. We all understood what we were talking about. Um, so Firefly became the Balkan terms for, for a radar up. There's three and four's bombs on the pier and the abutment. So uh, there's only one aim point left. So now I've just jumped forward to get closer, and you're going to see how much damage is done to the bridge. 
Come on, come on, right to the lanes. So I think it's Shooter and Texco in number two. Uh, shooter and Pilot uh, Texco on the uh, uh, in the Wizzo seat, uh, both from blue. You can see that I bent the span and then three and four separated the center span from the pier. And now uh, two is going to target the other span on the reattack. So I designate my aim point and re-update. has nothing to do with weapons guidance. I'm just keeping my INS tight. Um, so that if I need to slew to the other aim point uh, for some reason um, and slew off and get back, that uh, my system's tight. If you lose it on the clouds, call goalie. It was good. Yeah. One hit. And there we go. Hit complete. So I picked a slightly different aim point than the than Tex picked, but it was right there. The reason he didn't go up against the shoreline was because of the trees. Yeah. Um, because it was now May-ish, we were seeing more leaves on the tree. He didn't want a tree blocking his laser spot. So he moves his aim point a little bit away from the shoreline, which is exactly what he should have done. Um, and I was there to golding him if he needed it, but he didn't need it. And so there we go. And I think I've stopped sharing. And those are, I think, the the illustratable Star Baby's greatest hits. And I'm going to post the short version is to music, to Van Halen, naturally. Oh, sweet. I'll post it on the Air Piracy Productions uh, website for the 12 fans that that website has. Um, but that's kind of the repository of the videos when I put them up. And I'm in no hurry, so no promises on timelines. Yeah, well, I don't know when this is going to go out, so we'll, we can, we can, I suppose we can coordinate, can't we? This might not be out until like January 2034. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, there was one other. Can you find the target in 12 seconds? I can. Ah, so that story was actually a training story um, because I think that the target, I'm not sure I was as, as tight as 12 seconds, um, but this was a training attack in Wales against Conwy Castle in which I had misplanned it. We're coming down the river around the bend. We're going to simulate attacking a bridge and... Um, I failed to realize that the riverbanks are three-dimensional objects and that there's a hill between me and the target until the 12-second point. So as we come whipping around the hill at 540 knots, I've got 12 seconds to find the bridge, designate the uh, target, or find the aim point, designate the target, and uh, tell the pilot he's cleared to drop. Um, but we could do timing and see, because those cloud-obscured ones against the barracks and the vehicle storage, that was pretty close to 12 seconds. Yeah. So there's a couple of them where I'm pretty quick. I actually think that the now that I think about it, the Wales one was seven seconds. Um, but that's about as good as I get. I, I thought that video you just showed with the uh, cloud obscuring the, t the target and Ugg rolling in and you saying don't release. I thought that was pretty quick where it just suddenly appears again and you slew the crosshairs over it. I mean, that seemed to me to be 
pretty rapid, especially given that I suppose what you don't really appreciate watching it is he's just rolled upside down. Well, he's rolled upside down and pulled and then rolled the right way again. And you're in the back there, presumably sort of feeling all of these physiological forces and still, um, you know, sort of creating and still lying on the mental capacity to, you know, know, know what's going on and then reacquire the target, recapture the target in the pod. Yeah, so that was not a target acquisition because I had it earlier. It was a reacquisition and a check. And I wouldn't have had to do that if there hadn't been a second bridge in reasonably close proximity. So when I lost the target because of the clouds, that's what causes the drop delay is because I'm sweeping up and down the river to check the other um, cues to make sure I've got the right bridge. Mm. Um, That was one thing I was going to ask you. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll close soon because it's um, it's late here and um, I've taken up lots of your time already but i was going to ask you one of the things i noticed about some of the weapon systems video i see from today's strike eagles on sweet nine or whatever it is they're on is some symbology that look like looks like it's sort of centrifusion type or or network type symbology on the target pod so you can see other people's dimpies or other people's you know um uh, aim points or whatever it is that you're seeing and one thing i'd sort of noticed is that an absence of that in that this weapon system video you've just shown the target pod video you've just shown um would, would it have been uh, maybe it's a stupid question i'll ask it anyway but would it have been helpful or, or would it have made a material impact to the way that you operated if you'd had the same sort of capabilities so you patch map you get that little triangle uh, you designate it, but then when you go to the pod, you don't have. I mean, I know the pod's going to queue to where it thinks that point in the, on the ground is, but you don't have any symbology. Um, how much of a game changer do you think that kind of thing is, and, and would it have helped you? It's hugely helpful. It would have helped. Um, so what I wanted first is what the guys got in the mid 2010s, which was the collateral damage circle which actually shows up like an oval is the way you actually see it. But it's really projecting a circle on the ground if you look at it from a God's eye view. Um, Because that has a definable range. And so that was the first situational tool that would have helped is to have a range circle um, whereby you can judge what distances are instead of just wagging it. And then multiple reference points in there for other possible aim points, or in the case of, you know, where you might see somebody else's J3.5 track off the data link, um, those all add to your situational awareness. If those are really for, they help with moving targets and they help with targets in proximity to friendly forces, but they're still really good situational awareness tools. And we'd have loved to have them. But what we were excited about at the time were the North Arrow. The North Arrow was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you mostly don't notice it. It's this teeny tiny little arrow. And then the open square, the box that tells you where your pod is pointing. Okay, Prior to Sweet 2, that had been a ball. And now it's just an open box, so it doesn't obscure anything. And that tells you where, you know, if it's 45 degrees left of the center of the scope, left of your crosshairs, then then your pod is pointing 45 degrees left of your nose. And the closer it is to the crosshairs, the steeper the angle is. That and the North Arrow were huge situational awareness tools um, for you to orient the big picture. But, you know, orienting fine pictures, that was still up to you in target study. And I used to tell guys, I said, look, you get the target package, you have to study it in the brief. And 
yeah, I would often sketch it, not because my sketches are of any use to me, but because that is a method of getting it into my memory. I said, if you're not prepared to walk out of the target uh, or walk out of the briefing room, lose your entire target package in a wind gust uh, as you walk past an F-16, they all get sucked into its engine. If you can't have all that shit happen and still hit the target on the first pass, you have not studied the target enough in the briefing room. Which actually brings me to another story. So video I'm not going to show because there's no explosions in it are one day, no shit, there I was. And when I stepped out to an airplane, I had a list that I had extracted from. I had a list of possible quotes I was going to put on the bomb. And my paint pen, I carried a paint pen and I would write a quote on the left bomb and I would hand the paint pen to the pilot and he could have the right bomb. And so when I talked about the oil storage tanks that we hit in the mad shuffle, I had written shaken, not stirred on that particular bomb. And I come out and there's this beautiful bomb underneath the the wing. And this is the only virgin target I get in the entire month of May. It's a bunker allegedly full of ammunition shells. I've got a penetrator bomb. I'm going to drop two on one pass. And this one is decorated. It's got teeth. It's got eyes. It's got signatures in the DC guard. And what's written on it is object in mirror may be closer than it appears. <laughs> so I'm good. I don't need to add anything to that bomb. I don't even sign it. I've got a good bomb. I'm going to take it. And um, we've got... Uh, I don't even know, remember who the pilot was. So I've got a pilot up front. Pilot of number two was Genghis. Um, I don't know who the wizard was. And I had a couple lieutenants and young captains in, in three and four. And we're all going to, I'm going to drop two bombs on the first pass. Each of them will drop one bomb on the first pass. And then they'll come around for a second pass, clean up some more buildings, and we'll all leave as a four ship. Two passes, the limit. And we come in, and I've got the target, and it's a bunker, and we're cool. Oh, two jacks. Two jacks was the the Wizzo in the second jet. And we drop the bombs, and they both got, and one goes through the floor, the roof of the bunker, and one goes right through the freaking armored doors, and they dud. Hmm. Two jacks and Genghis drop their weapon, hit their target, and it duds. Three and four, as they revealed in the debrief, their targeting plan was to drop on my smoke. They figured Star Baby always hits the target. Let's drop on Star Baby's smoke. So they go through dry because there is no smoke from Star Baby's bombs because they did not go off. So we circle back around and I'm more than a little annoyed. I mean, three bombs, three, three duds. So we come back around and I say, one pass, guys, just pick a target and nail it. And they find their targets. They drop on them. They drop two weapons. They explode them and we leave. And I, I'm fuming on the way out. I'm just fuming. This has not gone well. And then we get into the debrief and I hear the, yeah, we're just going to drop on Star Baby Smoke. And now we have a discussion. You know, remember captains do the discipline in the squadron? Yeah. So I remember that being the most contentious debrief of the war and I also don't remember anybody else speaking in it uh, once we got the because I asked him, you know, what was your targeting plan? Well, we we're just going to drop on your smoke. And there's silence for a minute. And that's probably the last word said by three or four in the debrief. <laughs> so I went back to the D.C. guard and I said, hey, nicely decorated bomb. But uh, I talked to the weapons chief. I said, how about 
if the next time you do a bomb, you spend more time putting it together right and less time decorating it. And it's like, well, sir, maybe it went off and you didn't notice. <laughs> Chief, it did not go off and have me didn't notice. And, you know, we're working real hard. And I appreciate, Chief, that you're working real hard. I, I'm we're paying you for results. We're not paying you for work. And so uh, funny, I later joined that unit. That DC guard, that was my next unit after I left the Strike Eagles. I went to the DC guard and I never ever stepped foot in the ammo building or talked to any chiefs. Wait a minute, isn't isn't the DC guard an F-16 unit? Yeah, it is. Huh. That was the wing Ewell. Oh, okay. Kept that quiet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting assignment. Okay. Uh, so... There we go. That's Star Baby and Allied Forest. I got to drop a bunch of bombs. Shortly after that, I actually went home early before the end of hostilities because they stretched out into June. Um, just because of some miscommunications, I couldn't believe they were sending the wing Ewo home. Um, but the wing commander needed to fly home and needed somebody to keep him from going into Switzerland on the way back. So uh, <laughs> I flew home and I took two weeks off and I was going to fly one of the long sorties from Lake and Heath just for the hell of it. And that didn't materialize because of weather. And so I ended up flying with Fifi Malakowski on some of her MQ upgrade rides. And it all worked out. I actually went and took a vacation, went back down to Italy while some of the squadron were still there doing nothing um, and on base. And, you know, we were checking out things and, and visiting friends and people and eating at quality restaurants. Wow. Um, so that was Allied Force and wrapped up in June. Uh, during Allied Force, I'd been passed over for major. Uh, I had to definitely promote. I was the only guy in the entire Air Force with a DP to major, a definitely promote, which is supposed to be 100%. And I was passed over because I had a separation date um, because the Air Force had decided in its infinite wisdom that they were going to send me to a prowler. And my mm. reply to the assignment board was twofold. Uh, it was if I'd wanted to fly a Navy airplane, I would have joined the Navy. And I didn't graduate number one in my class to fly an airplane with a pointy end at the back. <laughs> And that was the final word. And so I transitioned out of the Air Force into the Guard uh, six months later, and then from there into the Reserves. And you retired as a colonel, though. You got to, you you were 06, is that right? I did, yeah, it was. Yeah. It, it's amazing. Everybody that has ever met me <laughs> thinks that's incredible and that there are clearly still some bugs in the system. Um, but yes, I and I spent eight years as a colonel. I, was, I spent more time as a colonel than I did as a captain. I had a good time. I got to fly as a colonel. There was a time period where I had the best colonel's job in the U.S. Air Force, and that was flying in the light attack experiment in the back of an AT-6, which will be another episode with even more video. Thanks for tuning in to 10 Century. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to subscribe, and if you're on YouTube, hit the bell button to make sure you get notified of the next episode. Thanks, and take care.